Welcome to Trail and Error, a look at the trail running world from the podium to the pack with your hosts Jay Grady and Tristan Stevenson. We decided to start our own trail running podcast to talk to the people we find interesting in the trail and ultra running world, to find out their highs and lows, their momentous successes and their abject failures, and to perhaps give us all a little bit of inspiration to take on some adventures and challenges of our own. We'll be speaking to runners and athletes, race directors and coaches, sports nutritionists and doctors to get the best out of our own running and hopefully yours too. We hope you enjoy the podcast and if you do, please hit like and subscribe via all the normal podcast feeds. But for now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to this episode of Trail and Error. This week, Tris and I are joined by John Von Hoff, author of Fixing Your Feet, and Tonya Olsen, physiotherapist and foot expert. John's joining us from his home in Tennessee, and Tonya is joining us from Florida. Welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Hey, guys. Ah, so, John, you're the author of Fixing Your Feet, as I say, and I think I came across your book from um it was Hal Kona's book uh how to run an ultra marathon I think he referenced to you and mm-hmm. I bought you a long time ago back in 2012 I'm gonna say fifth edition and uh I think it's fair to say it is a, a bible for ultra runners in in how we look after feet so uh right off the bat thank you very very much for for guiding me over the years and preventing me from losing toenails Oh, you're very welcome. I actually told Tanya, I think it was that uh, when the seventh edition came out, since you don't have it in your hands yet, um, it increased in size about 74 pages. So that was just amazing to have that. It's like 444 pages now. Nice. Uh, Just amazing. So it's quite thick. And uh, Tanya's in there, too. She added a whole bunch of stuff, her expertise, which... um, often is better than mine. <laughs> Not better, just different. <laughs> Complimentary. Okay. Um, so one of the, obviously, it, it's where the, the body meets the ground, really, and so super important. And, and I often find, um, I'm a physical ther- therapist myself, and, and, and as much like Tonya, and, and I often find it's one of the most forgotten parts of the body. Um, and in the area that has the most... Um, mystery about it for a lot of runners. They're not entirely sure what goes on through the foot or the ankle or or any of the lower leg. And they're kind of surprised and, and terrified also. Terms like plantar fasciitis and, you know, the, the dreaded Achilles tendonitis and tendinopathies. So it's it's one of those things where obviously as, as ultra runners, we, we put a lot of miles, you know, sort of more through the year in training than the races typically but yeah it's it's one of those areas where i think there's a lot of misunderstanding or or mystery so we'll kind of hopefully work through a few of those points today and you guys can can chip in uh anything that you think is pertinent as well but um john what what drove you to write the book you know um this was way back in like the mid 90s um i had done some 24-hour track runs and then i ran uh Western States endurance run. And uh, I had issues with my feet, particularly when I was doing a 72 hour race in a park. And somebody showed me how to duct tape a blister between my large toe and second toe. And that kind of piqued my interest. And uh, that was back in 93. And it just, I started going, hey, you know, what can I find out about feet? You know, what did, did, did I do wrong? And so I just kind of built on that and interviewed folks and read as much as I could and uh, out came the book. Oh, well, thankfully. Um, so Western States, how, how, did, how did that go for you? Uh, the first three times it went okay. <laughs> the fourth time was a DNF uh, about uh, 73 miles in, um, just not my year, and that happens for many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my best time there was the third time, and uh, I thought I was on track for 24 hours and uh, unfortunately came into the 94-mile aid station, and what I thought was four miles to the end turned out to be six. 
Mm. Um, so I ended up with 2436. I missed the buckle by 36 or the, the 24 hour buckle by, by 36 minutes. And, uh, an extra two miles at the end of a hundred miles yeah. feels like a long way, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so I have a question, John. Was this back when you were using um, syrup bottles for uh, with the sport ca- as a sport cat or as your hydration carrier? No, because they had no, like no, the no. first sport. Okay. No, <laughs> I didn't use those, but I know people that did. Yeah, because they had the original sport cap. Yeah. Because you could just squirt it in the mouth. Yeah, because they didn't have those on water bottles back yeah. in the early days yeah. of, of states, for sure. But I, I will confess, when you run these and are out at night, you need good light. And back then, they had the best light out there was bag light, if you remember that. It, it was like probably 14 inches long, two D-cell batteries, and it weighed like two and a half pounds. But today's LEDs are so much better, so much lighter. Uh, Yeah, love it. It's like running with a a relay baton. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, one of the races, we were going downhill, and all of a sudden, all this light came over us. And it was a guy, his pacer wore a metal frame backpack and, and actually had batteries on the backpack with two almost like automobile headlights on the top of the backpack <laughs> shining down. I got a little bit overkill, but yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's, you need to uh, reinvent that, I think, with with LED technology. It might go somewhere. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's pretty cool, actually. I, didn't, I hadn't realized you'd run it four times. Um, that's pretty cool. Uh, so one of the things, obviously, uh, one of the large differences um, in how feet work is really down to temperature. And so in terms of how we prepare our feet, um, how do we come condition feet for, for probably both summer and winter? What, what are the differences that kind of stand out in your mind about how we prepare ourselves for these races? Well, Tanya will probably differ here, but in the summer, when it's hot, your feet sweat so much. And so you have all this perspiration inside your socks and, you know, softens the skin and all that. But in the winter, often it rains or snow, but your feet still sweat. So it's kind of the same thing multiplied several times over. Um, you, I mean, you have to start with good socks and... In this day and age, when you can get maceration so quickly with wet feet, you know, use something on your feet to control the maceration. Yeah, I think also it just, I like, what does winter and summer mean to you? Like, there's a difference between, like, the winter that you all have in the UK and, and like, the Pacific Northwest, where there's a lot of external moisture with the rain and the slush or it's mostly like the rain and the um, precipitation. And then there's, there's the uh, winter where you're running on snow, which is actually fairly dry. Um, but regardless of where you are, like John said, your feet are, pro- are the primary producers of moisture that needs to be controlled. So that's where the just having good socks and just being mindful of the amount of time your feet are spending with moisture next to them. So good socks, is that we're talking about sort of breathability here so the moisture can like get off the foot and out of the shoe. Is that the idea? Right. So here's this random. When I lived in Minnesota and I rode horses for a living, um, I my feet sweat so much in my boots. And boots are like protect you from the cold. Um, and so they're not breathable. I actually had, this is a long time ago, I actually had to wear uh, wool socks and then a bread bag over my foot and yep. then another pair of wool socks for warmth. So the first wool sock next to my foot would wick the moisture away from my, my skin. And then the bread bag kept the moisture from the rest of the, from soaking the inside of the winter boot. Um, and so, yeah, if it's cold, you need a thicker sock to help with insulation and to stay warm and also to keep your foot dry. So the only you just issue, have to, it depends on the, yeah, 
The only issue there, too, to not forget is that the moment you start adding more socks or thicker socks, are you adding too much bulk in your shoe? Uh, and that can cause issues with compression uh, there. So don't forget with socks, too, you never want to, to have cotton socks. But get something that wicks moisture uh, either to the outside of, of the socks. I mean, there are such great socks out there now that, that will wick moisture to the outside of, of the socks. So in theory, it, it evaporates. And what about when, you know, it's unavoidable, your feet are going to get wet. Um, it, you know, obviously, most of the time, there's not really anything you can do to prevent them staying wet other than changing socks and shoes regularly, which, of course, isn't very practical if you're in a race. You're training, of course, you know, it's, it's, you know, you can stop and change, but no one's really going to do that when they're out in the middle of a run. So is there anything that you can kind of do to protect your feet or, you know, prevent issues when you, you're going to get very wet feet? Well, here in the States, we have access to quite a few products out there that are really good. Uh, I think of ones like Squirrel's uh, Nut Butter. Um, and, you know, even something as simple as a, a, as a bomb that you use on baby bottoms to control moisture, um, over here. Um, I mean, there's, there's several names for them. Um, but if you can coach your feet, whether it's with squirrels, nut butter, or one of the other like silicone type coatings, um, that'll really help but it isn't just a one and done thing you might have to do it several times so put some in your bags at different checkpoints and then apply that over too yeah a friend of ours is just launching a, a zinc based cream which is yeah, um good. in a deodorant stick so you can kind of just coat the foot i've been, I've been trialing that for a couple of years for him now and i've used that out in the desert and in the winter and and it's nice to kind of take your sock off and, and and for a sock change and see your foot looking you know like you've just come out of the shower basically so the creams the creams and the lotions are, are great to get on there but like you say you do have to remember to reapply them because there's some absorbance goes into the sock and, and and it will rub off um and it's easy to forget that when you're you know deep in the fog of a race and uh, you're you kind of thinking about pushing on and getting out of the check the checkpoints as fast as possible, but it's definitely a false economy. Yes, um, I absolutely uh, agree completely with John, um, and just really focusing on the prevention is really is an ounce of prevention is a pound of cure, and that's what we run into with runners on a consistent basis. They're reacting during a race, and then it's too late, and so. Um, you cannot avoid your feet getting wet during a race because you're going to be going through water and all that. There's nothing wrong with that, your feet being wet. You just need to minimize that as best as you can. And don't forget that at every minute in the race, your feet are creating moisture that needs to be controlled. So um, uh, strategic and frequent sock changes might sound like it is time-consuming, um, but it will keep you, it would, it takes less time to change your socks than it is the, to be slowed down by a painful blister. And so being mindful of the, um, if putting on a hydrophobic layer on your feet, if you know, you're going to be in a condition where a situation where it's more wet than what your feet are accustomed to, um, a hydrophobic layer like bag bomb and the squirrel's nut butter, that kind of thing. And then being mindful um, of the, uh, like some people you will use the zinc oxide, like the desitin or the, the diaper rash cream. Uh, I caution against that unless you're really desperate because though that um, the zinc oxide clogs the pores of your sock and basically destroys all of the wicking properties of your sock. You cannot, it's really different. And so you're destroying all your socks. So you can, there are better products, but what's nice about the, the um, zinc oxide is it is a desiccant as well, meaning it dries out the tissues. So um, just know the products that you're using and the qualities of them. Mm, that's a good and point. Prevention. prevention is critical. <laughs> and yeah, and try it and practice. But. And it's one of those things where I, I've learned over the years when, when, and I do a lot of long distance walks as well, but some of my feet in boots as well as trainers. And 
and one of the things that I've picked up, um, it's always, 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 as soon as you feel a hot spot developing in the foot, address it. The minute you're aware of it, when it's convenient, you know, I use micropore tape straight onto the area, which can be problematic if you're wearing a cream as well, because now you've got two things to bear in mind. But again, you need to practice these strategies and understand the problems before you get into the race. So, you know, having a towel there or some wipes to clean off the lotion before you apply the blister product, you know, having those to hand, that's always a good thing to, to kind of have in the pack and with the crew. Um, and also, so if, if we're talking about preparing for a race, uh, one of the things that I've learned from from John's book is, is I have a collect- <laughs> collection, sounds strange now, a collection of feet files and um, and clipping my toenails, I have yet to lose a <laughs> toenail on an ultra. Um, I've had a couple of bruises yes. and I've forgotten. <laughs> but um, yeah, and and I think it, the the advice that I read from the book and and I've used it and I haven't returned back to it. But it was um, basically to clip your toenails across rather than curved, keep them flat. I think was the advice, and and so you've got a nice hard edge to kind of put into the shoe. Um, and we're going to pick up on an injury that Tris suffered recently in a, a, a 24-hour track event, which was a lovely toe injury. Um, <laughs> and we can kind of have a real-world scenario about how you guys would have kind of addressed this during the race, I think, because I think we're going back to do that one again sometime, Tris. Yeah. Uh, as, long as, as long as you mention toenails and trimming them, don't forget part two of doing that. And that is to take a file that I just happen to have a you know, little file here. And Tanya's doing this, the same thing. And file over, over and over and over and over the tip so, yeah. of the nail. So you're so rounding down the you edge. take your finger and rub. So there should be. No edges and no sharp points. Okay. Yes, it's. Make that smooth. So it's not good. Is that so it doesn't catch? Is that, is that the idea on anything? Correct. Yeah. And so we are both sticklers on uh, good quality toenail care. And well, it's it's so simple, and yet people don't do it. It's a really easy thing to do before a, a, a race to make sure, and in training as well, but just keeping them all nice and healthy because. You know, you've got hypertrophy, which can happen in a race where your feet and hands swell from lack of electrolytes, and that can affect what's happening in the shoes. Uh, and and that can change that that perfect shoe that you've been training in all winter. Suddenly, your your you know your your feet are swelling because of the heat or the the water or uh, lack of um, electrolytes, and the toenail, if it's poking over the edge, is is going to become that 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 dripping tap that suddenly starts to irritate and then starts to, it, it ruins your race. You're running differently because you have to accommodate the pain, which travels up the legs into the, you know, the muscle systems of the leg and the hips. And all of a sudden it's a big problem from a little thing. Well, and if it's that, if your toenail, the end of the toenail is catching on the sock, it lifts the toenail up off of the blood and nerve ending rich nail bed and it's excruciating. And then you have a blood blister under the toenail, and then that swells, and that will really, really slow you down. So taking 30 seconds per toenail to um, to file it down is really important. And you touched on a really critical – you keep touching on a really critical point, which I would like to just make sure that we just state um, clearly that just because it doesn't happen in training doesn't mean it won't happen during a race because – how long is your longest uh, trading run for a 100-miler? Uh, we're both different, but mine's around 20. Okay, 20 hours? 20 miles. 20 miles, okay. So how many hours is that? Mm, three. Appro- approximately. About three. Okay, so three hours. So, um, so it seems like three to five is kind of common. So how long are you expecting to take to run the 100 miles, approximately? Well, Speed Goat there is going to do it in about 22, I think. 22, 23 so, and, so and for no, me, about that'd 30. Be nice. <laughs> right? Okay. So would you agree that the difference between three hours and 30 hours is rather significant and many, many things could happen during that different time period? This is what runners do not appreciate, the difference between training and, and the race experience, and they're not prepared. It's, it's, it's what we build during 
our races, isn't it? We learn a lot of these things are trial and error things that we pick up. They go wrong in a race. And, and if we've got any smarts, we say, right, that's not going to happen next time. But the purpose of these podcasts and these sessions are, like you say, to prepare us for learning from other people's mistakes, really, not reinventing the wheel painfully. So, yeah, absolutely. Anything can happen on a race, right? Yeah. Yeah, now, there's, so, you know, the, I was, I was, in the uh, several times in fixing your feet, I mentioned something and have, have you guys heard of the race Cape Fear? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, in- introduce us to it for people that haven't though. Uh, well, I've, I've never done it. I've never been there, but it, I believe it's in, is it Ireland? I think. Mm. And it's a mountain race. Uh, and it's very, it's, it's very tough, but they, they were finding that they were spending so much time fixing people's feet that they couldn't actually take care of the other runners who had more serious issues than feet, whether it be asthma or, uh, cuts or busted bones or whatever. So they instituted a system of triage where, you take care of your feet and you have a kit and what they came up with. And um, so I'll quote here, it's called the six P's. Don't know if you've heard of it, but it's very simple. It says proper preparation prevents piss poor performance. Yeah. Yep. That's a good there's, <laughs> yeah. There's just so much truth in that. So many people, you're doing a hundred mile run. So you buy your best shoes you can and hopefully best socks and a fanny pack or a, uh, you know, hydration pack of some kind you train, you have your food all down and everything else, but how much time is spent on your feet beforehand? So page 21 in the seventh edition tells some of those stories where um, it's just where prevention would have saved the runner a lot of trouble. And I would also like to uh, mention the psychic toll, the emotional toll that it takes on those of us who are volunteering to have a runner sit in front of us and, and have their race affected significantly in a negative way because of something that w- could have been prevented. It breaks our hearts. John and I just, yep. ugh, you just suck the soul out of your volunteers. So just be kind <laughs> to everyone and prepare. And some things you can't unsee, right? Right. Well, no, I, we have, honey, I've seen it all. Yeah, you can't scare us. <laughs> no, it's just knowing that the runners have put so much time, effort, and expense. And man, dude, if you'd have just done this one little thing, like you wouldn't be dropping out or you wouldn't be hobbling and it just, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's yeah. heartbreaking. Don't, so, don't show up at the aid station and want us to fix your feet and present us with a foot that is just eaten away between the toes with athlete's foot. Or, you know, we tape your feet and fix everything up nice and you hand us a clean pair of socks and it's got holes in the socks. <laughs> I mean, just just stuff like that. You, you, you know, common sense. Common Straight sense. Uh, I had somebody. It's not up. all that common. Oh my god! I had somebody yeah. I was working on on a race once who turned up, and they had uh, probably a good quarter inch lip between their calf and their ankle. And what they'd done is they'd worn, they'd chosen their socks based on the color. And they were dress socks. <laughs> they weren't running socks. They were dress socks. So it strangulated the leg. And, and I just, I, I grabbed some scissors and, and chopped the socks down. Uh, and I said, right, that's the best I can do. You've got five miles to the end, kind of go. But, um, sounds, like, sounds like a good compression sock. <laughs> <laughs> just for a certain part of the foot. <laughs> well, strangulated. I like that. Strangulated. strangulated right? It, it was yeah, interesting. That's strang- um, so... I was going to say, I, I, um, I, so as Jay alluded to, I DNF'd um, a 24-hour um, a little over a month ago after about 12 hours um, due to foot issue. Um, well, I mean, you know, everything hurt actually at that point, to be honest with you, but the foot was the worst bit. Um, and um, 
it was it was basically my big toe um the toenail was being kind of pushed inside the toe um like sort of jammed in there and it created a well a lot of swelling all over the toe but then a sort of big blood blister where the nail joins the toe which Mm -hmm. got bigger and bigger and quite excruciatingly painful um really towards the end where even walking was was agony every time the top of the top of the <laughs> she, Tonya's doing the uh, the toe filing um, <laughs> uh, action for anyone who uh, for everyone who's uh, obviously not got video. Um, so uh, yeah, it ruined the race for me. I had to stop. Um, and actually, I filing the toenail probably would have helped. Um, but I have a feeling that I might have been wearing shoes that were too small as well. That's what I was going to ask is that, you know, toe box needs some space between the end of your toe and the beginning or the end of the toe box. So you Mm. have to have that space in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and it's not the first time I've had toe issues to be honest with you in races. Um, I think I've been sizing down too much for too long. Um, I've had other races, which fortunately haven't resulted in DNFs, but, um, where, you know, I've, I've had, I've, I've basically contracted an injury during the race that, you know, has, you know, had, you know, effects going on after the race. You know, I, had, I remember I did a race back in May, which actually won. Um, but, uh, it was a 50 mile coast path race. And at the end of it, I had an enormous blister on the side of my big toe, um, sort of in between the big toe and the and the and the next biggest toe, it was huge. I think it's the biggest blister I've ever had. Um, and again, I think it might be you know insufficient space in the toe box. Toes are sort of rubbing together and and creating this friction, and then the blister comes up. Yeah. Well, we have seen all different sizes on everywhere on the foot. And we've seen, I mean, all it takes is one little pea size one to ruin your, your run mm. if it's in the right spot, just the pressure on it. So, yeah, it can be very uncomfortable. And you go from a run to a walk to a crawl. And then finally yeah. you decide you just can't continue on. Yeah. So what did you learn, Tris? Get bigger shoes. Um, <laughs> I'm, I, I mean, I've... It's annoying, isn't it? Because I've got like eight pairs of shoes in rotation. And now I'm looking at them all like, uh, you, you're going to cause me injuries if I keep wearing you. Of course, it's not it like, like you said, you know, when you're training, if I'm running it for an hour or even two hours, it doesn't tend to be an issue. But once you start getting on these long races where, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 hours, obviously these things then get, you know, it, then it, that's when they crop up. So, so, you know, I'm starting to buy bigger shoes i can't repa- can't, can't instantly replace all eight pairs of shoes that was like a thousand pounds on shoes but um you know i certainly won't be starting any races with with smaller shoes from now on um and i haven't actually done a race since so it remains to be seen you know what sort of difference that makes and whether there's something else that's a problem yeah well, you bring up a really good point there with um uh choosing your socks needs to be you need to have the basic characteristics of um wicking the moisture but you you choose those based on the conditions but then choosing your shoes according to the conditions as well like you just really brought up a really valuable and important point is the shoe that you're going to choose for running short distances in the city uh are going to be different than the needs that you need to have for uh medium distances on super technical terrain on the mountains versus long distance on not super technical terrain or um and or uh during a very long race those all are different shoe choices and so you need to understand your body whether you're heavy or you're light and how you move um how you load your foot the terrain that you're going to be on, and the amount of time. So people should have a quiver of shoes based on what it is that they're asking their feet to have to accommodate. Um, And I think that's one of the things that runners don't necessarily appreciate, um, having a variety. They'll just choose a, a brand and a design, and a lot of times it has to do with an ultra runner or a runner that they that they that they look up to, mm. or that um, and they choose the shoe that's good for someone else 
or they're loyal to a brand and then they and they want to have that same shoe model because they're loyal or they feel emotionally attached to it or whatever it is but appreciating the having different shoes and having a little bit more thought in the choice of your shoes so thanks for bringing that up i think that was really valuable uh, there's lots of things during you know during the race. Um, the the next race that we've both got, we we chat we all chatted about this before the recording, but we've we've got the a race called the Arc of Attrition coming up, hundred miler, pretty horrific uh, time of year to run it down here on a little spit of land stuck out in the Atlantic. Um, so any weather that's coming across from you guys is is going to hit us full force, uh, and we go from muddy trail to sometimes. Uh, tarmac and asphalt and and beach and uh there's quite a few sections where they're submerged and and one of the things obviously is as soon as we get debris in the shoe to get that out as well you know if you feel grit or sand has sneaked into the shoe to get that out too uh you know just stopping for a few minutes tapping the shoe getting all that crap out of there and, and then pushing on again it's another false economy to run on with that i feel do you guys wear Gators? They're not that effective. And and because of the rock, I mean, Cornwall, where we live, is is a, a very granite-based county. A lot of the trail has some extremely sharp granite rocks that we go over. And those um, the things that we would typically use in, in more weathered mountains or desert conditions, those gators tend to, um, if, if they've got any kind of binding underneath, will rip away. But also, um, it's not a popular choice over here although i've just seen salomon have brought out a new shoe with a gator built into the it's like a sock that goes over onto the ankle um like a glove basically and seals onto the lower leg so maybe it's something that will become more fashionable over here or or more popular well you can always set the fashion scene (laughs) uh i with a face like mine that's highly unlikely (laughs) (laughs) i Years ago, one of the years I ran Western States, I actually fashioned a pair of gaiters out of socks. I cut the bottom off the sock and then I folded it over the top of the shoe and uh, attached it to the shoe with twist ties. So Mm. it can be very simple. It doesn't have to be one of the nylon ones with a strap under, under the shoe. There's all kinds. But just to keep junk out of the shoe... Uh, I mean, that's the purpose of it. If yeah. if the kind you've typically seen are too loose and they're going to catch on the rocks and tear, then just anything, anything that can cover that top area between the sock and the shoe will help. As long as you practice yeah, for a lot the of race. Different- yeah, there's a lot of different options. Like what, John, like the dirty girl gators are really unobtrusive and they just have like a little hook that hooks on the um, like your shoelace. So there's nothing underneath and they're soft and um, they're not, you know, it's not a bunch of stuff that's in the way. It's worth a try. So um, one of the, the, the topics in, in the book, one of the subjects is is lacing your shoes. And, and that's something I've seen. Uh, it's quite a few people uh, unaware of how to properly lace or the indeed the extra hole that seems to appear at the top of a shoe um should we be looking to really cinch them down fairly tight or should we be going for a bit of loose or is there any uh tips and tricks to how to lace them up to 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 deal with long distances well keep in mind whatever you do has to be right for you Hmm. so in your training in your training specifically in the mountains you know have you found that you need them tied tight so your foot doesn't move around in the shoe. Uh, sometimes if you have them tight, going downhill is going to put pressure over the top of the foot. So you've kind of got to experiment there. Uh, and what will hold your foot in your shoe but not be too tight or compress on the top of the shoe too much some people have to lace shoes differently to hold the heel in the shoe some have forefoot issues so they might want to lace different in the front of the shoe laces there so whatever works for your feet is right don't don't tie your shoes tight just because i said you should you know try it play play around with it right and 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 right don't be afraid to change it if it feels wrong 
Correct. Yeah, just be aware that there are different tying options. Um, and don't be afraid to get creative with that and modify accordingly. But also be aware of like, if you're having to futz a lot with the lacing technique that you use for your shoe, it's probably better for you to find a different design of shoe that naturally fits, fits your foot better. So don't be afraid to, to try and trial and error and get a really good relationship with your local running store because they'll be able to help you the best. Um, Cause most of the local stores, you know, you can buy a pair of shoes and if, you know, in a week, you, uh, you're not having, uh, they're, they're not working out for you, you can return them. And that's why it's, I think it's really important to have a good relationship with your local store and you can do this, try You can get, um, can be a little bit more of crowdsourcing for trial and error on your shoes and your lacing techniques and all that. Yeah, we good. We've got some local, good local shops in the county that we, we frequent. So yeah, we're lucky. Absolutely. I'm, I'm intrigued about the extra holes for the laces. I'd have no idea what those oh, yes. are for. Um, so can someone please explain to me? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Jen. You ta- you're talking about the one, the top, the one on the collar. Yeah. The very top of the shoe. Yeah. Go ahead, John. Um, well, some people use them. Some people don't. Often right. they're used to just cinch the foot uh, better in the shoe. Sometimes people will skip certain eyelets. Some people don't even uh, use those at the top. So um, sometimes if you use the top ones, they're too tight. Go ahead, Tanya. So that's, yeah, so that's going to be in Fixing Your Feet, uh, seventh edition. That's going to be page 194 is that section. That's chapter number 14. And uh, there's some really nice uh, visuals on the different types of lacing that you can use. But yeah, that top, that top, um, the, the top bu- the mystery hole that hole. nobody ever uses. The mystery hole can be used to uh, create different uh, cinching down, just to modify the fit for you. Got it. Yeah, there's a lot of really good tip type. Um, lacing techniques i like nice job on this john (laughs) it's like you've done this before six other times (laughs) keep in mind guys that there there are quite a few different options instead of actual shoelaces too i mean there are stretchy laces that have a little lock key or there's some that just uh, go into themselves so there is no shoelace on top of the shoe and there's give to it because they're stretchy and so some people use those yeah i've just got a pair of that yeah i've got a pair of uh salomon shoes actually that don't really have a lace it's kind of well it's a, a built-in kind of thin cord that you, know, you don't tie the shoelace it's sort of got like a yeah a button press thing that you kind of cinch down. In fact, it's a lot like a sort of, you know, cinching cords on, like a, on, a, on a backpack or something mm. like that, you know? It's generally yeah, it's like called a BOA. Yeah. B-O-A. Uh, yeah. And I think they've got the patent on it. But, I mean, those you can cinch up and, and down as needed, which is pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. Those, those I think they've seen those on the La Sportivas, that nice BOA uh, on the side, obviously a constrictor. Um, and yeah, so Sacorni have just brought out the Peregrines as well on the STs with the, with the pull cord, and they're quite useful as well. Nice not to have to worry about laces, but you do have to remember to teach your crew, if they're not familiar with them, how to undo it. I think guess being presented with a foot like that at three in the morning in a muddy car park and saying, right, I need to change my shoes. And they're like, how the hell does this work? Um, and you're like, dude, <laughs> it's really stolen your laces, right? Um, <laughs> they're getting a knife yeah. oh, for a bloody hell. Cut them off. <laughs> um, well, all those things are nice, but I had a pair of shoes once that had that BOA system and it actually stopped working in the middle of a round of golf. And I actually had to find a groundskeeper and wrap duct tape around the shoe <laughs> to keep it closed so I could wear it. So uh, ha- have a have a backup plan. There's a, we had um, a race recently that we both ran in, and um, one of the checkpoint managers, uh, a chap called Andy Goundry, who's a, a good friend, um, a chap ran in, and, and the sole of his foot was on his shoe was flapping away. And so he looked at his shoes and he says, what, what size shoe are you? And he says, I'm a, a whatever, an eight and a half. And he says, well, so am I. So he, t- he took his own shoes off 
and gave it to the runner to finish the last five miles and, and grabbed them at the end. If I give away half a dozen of my own personal socks every year at States because I can't, because they, people hand us, we've done all the taping they, and then they hand us a pair of socks with a hole in it. And I just <laughs> cannot, I can't, I can't do that. I'll just be like, I got my little bag of socks. I donate them to the runner Donor socks. and move on with my life. Yes. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a funny duct tape story. It's not actually a running story. Oh my God. But, um, <laughs> I was, I, oh, this is going to be better. <laughs> I was in um, Thailand in Bangkok and, um, you know, I was, I was out and wearing flip-flops like sandals, you know, and um, a lot of bars there have quite strict <laughs> policies about shoes. You know, like, what do you wear shoes to be, do you want to come in the bar? You can't be too casual looking. So um, I didn't have these shoes. Everyone I was with was going in this bar and I managed to acquire some duct tape and I duct tape <laughs> shoes onto myself, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and they let me in. So the oh only thing, God. of course, that my, you know, I, I was then apparently smarter looking, even though I had shoes made out of tape. <laughs> <laughs> Did you draw the laces on? <laughs> didn't draw laces on, no. Ad- adapt and overcome. That's fantastic. <laughs> Um, so that kind of brings us on to a, a good point with the, the discussions about chopping shoes off, I guess. Um, crew support. So uh, the race that we, we're kind of focusing on for, for this episode as well, but also the races, obviously. Um, top tips, really, for people crewing other people. Quite a few people. This is a long race for a lot of us. It's between 22 for the fastest, 20, maybe 21 and 36 hours, just like Western States. It's, it's a long, old race. It can be a long, old day and night out there and, and night again sometimes. Some people are crewing this who aren't runners. And, and runners need to remember that sometimes. And, and obviously, you've got to have a, a good sense of humor through these things and be mindful that your crew are volunteering and not get stressed out. So it's all about the preparation. What tips would you give for either runners to prep their crew with for feet or for the crew themselves if they're listening? What, what are... What are your top tips for kind of helping their runner and, and having the words of wisdom to deliver when they're needed. Are you talking more from a crew perspective or somebody working on feet at an aid station for for the crew, for the crew really? Okay. Well, I've always said, I think the crew needs to know what I want on my feet. Don't go into your first or second aid station somewhere and have messed up feet and expect your crew to know what to do, Mm. what works for you. So in your trial and error through all your training, as you've worked on your own feet, as you've experimented, hopefully, with different things, what works? Tell your crew that. Otherwise, what you get is the best of the knowledge of your crew. And that may not work for you. And that goes for supplies, too. If certain things work on your feet uh, and you've got a hydration pack, put some some of your special tape or some of your special uh, creams or your uh, moisture control bombs or something in your pack. So you can say, here's what I want on my feet. Otherwise, you're at the mercy of the aid station or crew Mm -hmm. people who you may not have all that stuff. Yeah, so we know what crew means, right? Crabby runner, endless waiting. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Pretty common. Yeah, it's a pretty common acronym here in America. Um, But yeah, like John said, have extra of, of, like for the crew, they, they, you know, they, they, they can carry more things. And so if they have extra of everything, um, and then uh, for not only the runner, but when you're crewing, you're creating a community with the other crew. And you never know the level of experience of the crew around you. And it's just like the, you know, the, the culture of out being out on the trail. You know, you help people who are down. You help people who are having a tough time. So your crew needs to be prepared to be able to help those other people. Like, because what ends up happening is, you know, your runners are running about the same pace. So your crew could be out there with those same other mm. crews next door to each other. And you're leapfrogging or you're talking while you're waiting for your crabby runner endlessly waiting. Um, and so being able to share 
with each other and, and to help each other out. That's a part of ultra running. That's one of the best things about ultra running is the community and then preparing your crew ahead of time to not only know the supplies, but how to physically do what it is that's going to need to be done. Like here's how you tape my foot. Because when you're 20 some hours in, your brain is the consistency of porridge and you can't really articulate and you may be a little bit on the crabby side and just don't have the emotional bandwidth to be able to explain. You shouldn't have to be teaching your crew while you're trying to run the race. And so just think about some of those things as well. Some, some runners, as they get into the longer stretches of the race, you know, like, like Tanya indicated, they're, they're not on top of things. And so they don't sometimes even know what they want. So the crew has to anticipate things. Uh, I'm the kind of person who I'm up for everything. I'm on task. I know exactly what I want. And that's, you know, that's for the length of the event. That's just how I think. Uh, But, you know, not everybody's like that. So if you, in your training, in your hopefully learning how to take care of your feet. If you've practiced taping and have found a method that say works like for Trish on your toe, you, I mean, you can tape the large toe beforehand to hopefully avoid the issues of blisters and so forth there. But the way that you have learned to tape may not be what your crew does. So I mean, sit down and show them, teach them how to tape, how to handle things, what you put on your skin, what you don't, how to pop the blister on your foot, um, all that kind of stuff. I mean, share that so you have a well-educated crew. And, of course, buy them the seventh edition of Fixing Your Feet for a Christmas Mm. present. (laughs) Avoid those arguments. Yeah. Absolutely. Should, Should you pop blisters then? Should you? Good question. (laughs) Well, uh, as I've I've stated, I think in the the book since the first edition, the the general rule of thumb that's been out there on foot care is if it's, you know, small, you don't have to pop it. But if it's a half inch or bigger, you can, can pop it. You know, I don't necessarily think that way. If it's, you know, if it's bothering you, if it's in a pressure point on your foot, just go ahead and dance it there. In all my years, which has now been, what, probably 23 years, 24 years of working on feet, I have never seen a blister that's gotten smaller. (laughs) (laughs) They all get bigger. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, We've seen, seen some that are huge. So what's the best way? Well, I mean, particularly if it's in a pressure point area, get the fluid out of it, patch it well, and, you know, understanding that, uh, I mean, I've seen podiatrists and medical people who will drain a blister on a foot and put a, a wad of gauze over the top of it and then tape over that, and all of a sudden you have this big junk on your foot that's taped on your foot that then has the uh, possibility of changing your gait and changing everything on your stride. So, uh, no, too much is too much. So I, I err on the side of just a little bit. Pop it. I put some, some ointment or some... Uh, uh, moisture control or zinc oxide over the top of it and then a piece of tape yeah so what one of the things to like as a physical therapist jay i'm sure you appreciate that we're all about like the why and so i like to make sure like i like for people to understand the why of uh popping a blister so the biggest reason to reduce to pop a blister during a race is so that you can control the situation because the pain of a blister is the exposed underlying tissue that is the the skin layer that has all the nerve endings on it. So you have the, the epidermis and then the dermis underneath. So if a blister bursts on its own, 
then that roof, the skin on the, uh, the outside skin, then that tears away and that's painful. And then you have the exposed dermis underneath with all the blood and um, nerve endings. And that's where the pain of a blister is primarily happening. And now if that's happened while you're running, you get a bunch of dirt and crud and gunk. And for one, it's going to take a lot longer to address because now you have to clean it off. But then also that can that creates a much larger wound that you're going to have to be um, addressing throughout the rest of the run. And so controlling the situation is like one of the primary reasons why you're going to want to pop a blister. And then having your system where you um, you make a big enough hole in a, in a place in the blister so that it's going to continue to drain. And then you put a little uh, dollop of zinc oxide or, or an antibiotic cream so that the, um, the roof of the blister won't be torn off by the tape that you apply. And then using the tincture of benzoin to create more of a sticky surface upon which the tape should adhere. And then if you apply the tape over a blister properly and um, in uh, accordance to what John recommends in chapter 11, page 156 <laughs> in the seventh edition. <laughs> I have not paid you her to should, do this. <laughs> you all, uh, uh, John, for, for the 10 years that I've been working with John at Western States, uh, Michigan Bluff at mile 55, we expect our tape jobs to last until the finish and then most of the time when people get to the finish, if they've had a blister and we know the roof um, that has been t- the, that the roof isn't intact, we just tell the people to leave the tape on for the next few days. So if you are perspicuous and detail oriented in the way that you tape a, a, address a blister and tape over it, that you should only have to touch that blister one time during the race. And this is where that practice ahead of time is critical. So, Here's my opportunity to pass something in front of two very experienced people with feet then. So I did a a pilgrimage across Spain a few years ago, and I bumped into a chap called, a Belgian chap called Guy, who was just a lifesaver. And and what he taught was um, when you have a a blister to pass, um, this is a multi-day event, so it's slightly different to a race sometimes, but his advice was to pass a, a needle with cotton thread through the blister Yep. Leave, yep, yep, yep. Leave yep. the cotton end yep. exposed at the end. And that capillary action of the cotton draws the fluid out and tape over the top of that. Um, so that's good advice I'm taking. It, yeah, it keeps it. That's just that's just creating a drain, yeah. which is what you use like in post-surgical procedures. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not necessarily the cotton that's the wicking part. I mean, the cotton thread does help. Um but it's just keeping the, keeping the, the hole, hole open, open yeah. so it doesn't heal. Yeah, it doesn't heal open, and that's why John uses. What do you? That's why John oftentimes uses a, a scalpel rather right. than a needle because you create a little bit and makes several holes rather than just one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for the long term, long distance for a multi day race, that's absolutely fantastic. Way to go, Gee. <laughs> and what I noticed was because I taped over that the next day. Uh, it was like I had no blister. That the the outer layer of nice skin rehealed onto it. It was amazing. Yes, yes. and uh, that's what happens if you tape it properly as well. If you drain and tape it properly, that's what should be happening. Again, with micropore tape, so the whole thing can breathe and and heal. Now or kinesio, no. we okay. are actually yeah, we're we're more of a fan of the kinesiology type tape because it's stretchy and the adhesive is much okay. better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it has a lower lower profile, lower friction, but the 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 where it's two directionally, the um that is really the predominant tape that it, John and I it use. It shapes it shapes to the the shape of your toe or your heel or your forefoot. Yeah, yeah it's excellent stuff. And, and, yeah, and what's nice about it is it's very forgiving. So if you take a, the piece of that kinesiology tape and you place it over the toe and there's a there ends up to be a wrinkle in it, mm. you don't need to panic. All you do is just take a little nail uh kind of a little curved nail nail scissors and just cut the little wrinkle. Just just excise cut it a little bit and then pat it down. And then it'll it just adheres and it's flexible and you don't have to redo it. So it's a lot more forgiving than um, because of the flexibility. Yeah, of got it. you. So so for us mainly the the predominant brand over here, I, I, we can mention it because it's our podcast and we make the rules. Uh, rock tape. 
Yeah. So yeah, yeah. just and I, I try but to stay away K-tape, from brands yeah, yeah. because that's why we say get a kinesiology type tape. It, yeah, uh, it's it's. I think the kinesiology thing has. sometimes flies over people's heads, and it's like, is that a special or tape? Kinesio type tape yeah. because that's actually the first tape of its kind was kinesio tape. They started the whole trend. So if you Google kinesio type tape, that you will find a product of some sort. And it, and it's it's good stuff, easily available. So we can all have some of that in our crew box. What I want if to. If you don't, you need to be fired as a crew. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to remind people, though, is is you know if you've got fixing your feet, ch- check out some of the chapters in there. The chapter on taping has a big section on kinesiology tape. Because it is unique in how it's applied, both with uh, it has paper backing on it, uh, you can put stretch to it or not, and there's uh, good and bad about either of those. It has to be rubbed to generate some heat to activate the adhesive, adhesive on it. Yeah. So learn about the tape. No square corners on any tape. I always round corners. Um, so that's that's in the chapter on taping. Um, the other thing, just backtracking a, a tiny bit, when you talk about lancing a blister, Tanya mentioned scalpel. I use a number e a I'm sorry a number eleven pointed scalpel. It I mean I can make a tiny nick in it and get the fluid out, but I I purposely do it in certain spots on the blister itself. I want something where gravity will continue to to drain fluid out. Plus, as your foot goes through the foot strike, it sometimes will put pressure, depending on the location, and force the fluid out too. So I never, unless it's really small, you know, something on a toe maybe, I often make two or sometimes three little cuts because I want that fluid out of there. Uh, And then finally, um, don't forget in the book too, especially for crew, uh, you know, there's a chapter on teamwork and crew support, and there's a chapter on providing foot care for athletes. And then there's, I mean, there's two others perfect for all of you with this race coming up. Extreme conditions. Um, I mean, that can be ice, it can be snow, it can be sand, everything else. And then uh, multi-day events because you might start on a 24-hour and end up in 22 hours or it I mean may take you 36 so learn what what the tips are out there for and then if you've got the book in the chapter on extreme conditions is a picture of a guy's foot and I'll yeah, attempt to show that yeah. there. That's big smile at his face. <laughs> that is one of the best pictures. His skin is torn off the bottom of his foot. And it was ta- he bypassed Tanya and our aid station and went on and never changed his socks to my recollection. But they taped and taped and taped. He came in almost the equivalent of multi layers of tape on his foot. And it's all tore up, but you know what? He got his belt buckle, and he's (laughs) smiling in the photo. So He is. Yeah, the tape actually tore the skin off, if I remember. He he lost his soul. Um, (laughs) Right? Ah, (laughs) Yeah, so in the uh, Chapter 11, um, also thinking about, like, the the difference between, like, a multi-day. And when I worked, I think, the multi-day athletes, they – uh, really prefer uh, Luco tape, which is a tape that runners should be familiar with because that has no, it's kind of the, like the modern day duct tape. Uh, runners should not be using duct tape at all on their feet anymore because there are much better opportunities. Uh, there, there are better options. It's not the 1970s anymore. So kind of people step up, step it up a little. Uh, duct tape nowadays causes more trouble than anything. As your uh, duct tape um, aficionado, then use Luco tape um, because it doesn't have the god awful um, gunky adhesive that duct tape has a problem 
with producing, which ends up to be problematic down the line. And then uh, Luca Tape also has some breathability, but it's a much more robust. And if you're trying to provide structure or, su- or support, or as much support as tape can actually do, Luco Tape is a really good something to have in your pack, like for an ankle sprain, for example. If you sprain your ankle out on the trail, you can cinch that up with the Luco Tape. Um, and it's just a more of a robust, non-stretchy tape. So you should have one of both. You should have each type of tape in your kit. And it is no. accepted by bars in Thailand. I have checked. <laughs> yes. Okay. We're, oh. <laughs> you know, the- we're all good. <laughs> There's also Tanya mentioned Luco tape. It's Luco tape P is what that commonly is is called, or just. Uh, but they also, Leukotape now has an option of kinesiology type tape yeah. in a so Leukotape. Um, and so that's something to cons- cons- consider too. Um, yeah, there's good stuff in there. Um, I guess that's why we added a, you know, another 74 pages to the seventh edition. Yeah, I mean, we. <laughs> I can't wait to get into it. We, we we chatted before, John, about my copy not turning up. Um, yeah. So I have it on Kindle again. Uh, but it's really been um, an absolute godsend to be able to delve into it and, and, you know, refresh yourself because it's a perishable skill and go back through these things. And, you know, a lot of the information that you go through, you may not have experienced it in your early running career and then going back to it as you progress as a runner and, and learning more subtle nuanced differences in how to look after our feet as our distances grow, technical terrain increases and things like that. So it's a great resource. It really is. Um, and it's been amazingly useful, like I say, for keeping all my toenails intact. But um, yeah. it is the six Ps. It's preparing your... Tris is smiling at me because we always talk about toenails and, and uh, his his lack of and my complete set Um, (laughs) but it's 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 been really useful and that's kind of i i can't recommend it highly enough and i'm great it's great that it's out before christmas so people come you know if you want a christmas present folks just just ask your nearest and dearest to get you a copy of the book well i'd like a christmas present jay well no (laughs) (laughs) okay i'll get you a copy Get him a nail file. Hey, Tris, what color? Chris, what color? Or Tris, what color was the duct tape that you used to get into the bar? I thought silver. uh, It was silver. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fancy, very fancy. (laughs) It's um. So you had a a subungual hematoma, I think, was the 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 toe that you had, which which Mm. scarred me for life as well as you. Um, yeah, because Jay was crewing me, by the way. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and some extremely it, preventable. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's one of those, you know, it was new terrain for Tracy. We were running on a track for, for 24 hours. Um, it was uh, definitely, we could hear his footfall changing as he came past the crew stop lap after lap, and we could see something was wrong. But yeah. it's one of those things where, you know, how do you know what is the pain of an ultra that's going to last, and how do you know it's something that's going to, come and go quite quickly it's a judgment call sometimes mm. but um yeah unfortunately for that one it was a, a keeper i've had opportunity to work at uh, multi-day events <clears throat> excuse me in costa rica uh, chile canada the amazon jungle twice um new orleans where it was 40 some people doing five and ten ironmans in a row uh, and six-day events, and there's so much you can learn from those events uh, about foot care and what works and doesn't work. And so those chapters on multi-day, even though you you may not be doing a multi-day, there's some good stuff in there that can be applied to especially 100-mile runs. A multi-day really drives things home. So I did a, a cycling event that I normally work on from the foot of England to the top of Scotland. And we had a, a, a guy come in there that my mentor really solved his problem, but he'd, he'd screwed cleats into his shoe. Now he was doing a hundred day, hundred mile cycle practice events. He was doing hundred miles in training on his bike. Everything was fine. The time when he came to do multi-day hundreds, so 110 miles every day for nine days on about the seventh day, this tiny screw on on the the, the bottom of the shoe where, where it secured the cleats mm. was protruding maybe i mean it was barely perceptible with your fingertips that's how small it was but over multi-day this this 
maybe half a millimeter protrusion, suddenly it, it felt like he'd got a six-inch nail driving into his foot. You know, that multi-day stuff really does change the game, really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, well, thank you both so much. I feel like this, I could ask you questions for hours. Yeah, um, thanks, guys. Uh, maybe I, have to, I, I, I have to pause a second here. Let's talk for just a couple minutes if there's time. When you have a blister and there's blood in it, that kind of changes circumstances and treatment options. So the blood means it's it's rubbed down deeper into the deeper layers of skin. And if there's blood in it, the general rule of thumb is that you don't lance it because you're opening up the whole circulatory system to potential infection. Uh, but how I handle it if I'm working in aid station is if I don't lance it here and properly treat it and patch it, it's going to pop out on the trail somewhere. And then it's going to get dirt in it and everything else. And it'll just, you know, it'll be all over. So uh, if there's blood in it, it can still be lanced. But, I mean, take precautions there. Uh, Gloves on your crew's hands. Uh, antibiotic ointment over the top of it, good patch tape system over the top of it too. And then obviously after the event, clean it well and watch for signs of infection and make sure your tetanus is up to to date too. I mean, that's important. Uh, I've seen huge ones with blood in it on heels and ball of the foot. And uh, there are times when I won't, won't touch them. I won't pop them. Too too chancy. <clears throat> no, that's that's perfect. That and that rounds us off very nicely. Thank you so much, John, and thank you so much, Tonya. Um, thank you for the invite. It's, oh, it's, it's been fun. Yes. No, and if we can kind of our next summer race, maybe we'll we'll recover this team and uh, go over some tips <laughs> for the summer as well. Um, thank you so much, uh, and everyone. We'll put uh, links to the show notes on there. Uh, with, well, links in the show notes to John's book. You can buy it in Kindle and paper format. Uh, Kindle's great if you travel to races as well. You've always got it to hand. You can get a Kindle up on your phone. Um, and yeah, just a, a very, very, very worthwhile resource and a, a much misunderstood area of the body. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. Thank guys. you. Fun. Good luck on your race. It isn't until January, I see. Yeah, we got two months. Do oh, they? It's exciting. I see they. <laughs> I'm on the website for it, and I see they give you or they make you carry a mandatory mandatory kit. Yes. Yeah. Is there foot care stuff in the kit? No. Oh. <laughs> it's 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 i think it's um maybe a 60 percent dnf rate on this race it's it's pretty wow. brutal wow wow um wow. so yeah we there, there is talk that john kelly's doing it this year um so fingers crossed we bump into him certainly at the start anyway i won't see him again mm-hmm. um but yeah it's it's a drawing a, a big we're very lucky it's our local race but it is drawing um quite a global uh, interest now so yeah it's a big race wow. well I, take pictures yes <laughs> i look forward i see it's january was it 22 uh january, january 28th 28th yeah. okay well i'll have to make a note and uh stay you tuned tracking and numbers. you can see where we're going We'll send you okay. pictures of our send you pictures of our feet afterwards. How's that? Pre, no, we need a, we need a pre and post so we can kind of keep you honest. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, Thank, Thank you, you very guys. much. You're very Thanks, welcome. Guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Trail and Error podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to like, subscribe. And most important of all, share it with your friends and your family. Also, if you have any guest suggestions or suggestions for features that you would like to see on the Trail and Error podcast, please get in touch with us via our social media channels at trail underscore and underscore error underscore UK. It makes more sense when it's written down, I promise you. Oh, and we're on Facebook too. See you next time. Thanks for listening.